Welcome to Jacked Theology to Keyboard Warriors, spending some time discussing different topics of the day and hopefully connecting them back to Jesus. Uh, we see him. We both have our doctorates. Uh, we got him through Len Sweet, and he taught us that uh, to filter everything through Jesus, and so we're passionate about that. So we're just going to talk as two bros. Um and today we want to talk about the Theobro movement that's been on the, the interwebs. It seems that there's a, a fear. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about deconstruction in the past uh, few years. Uh, this idea of deconstructing what, what has been taught in our past, uh, maybe our upbringing, growing up years, and kind of uh, leaving that behind for something new. And I think in some ways, Kevin and I have both deconstructed many things in our life, but I, I know we're passionate about reconstructing theology around Jesus. And so the Theobros would be those that are fearful of those deconstructing those tenets of the faith that we were taught when we were younger. And yeah, so I, have to, uh, I have to admit, I, uh, I did the nerd thing, Matt, and I tried to figure out where, um, where Theobros began you know, who started using it. And I, I, I don't know, I don't know where it came from, but it's a relatively new term, I think, for me. The uh, definition that I found was a slang term for mostly white evangelical men, uh, which kind of hurts because I think I've been in that category for, for most of my life, who arrogantly police other people's theology on social. And I found this, uh, I found this other um, from Baptist News of all places, uh, posted this article recently, Meet the Theobros Who Want You to Know That They're Right About Everything, which I think pretty much generally describes what a Theobro is. But I love the, love the definition here. Um, in this world of spiritual warfare, um, theological compromise, and Republicans losing the White House, there lives a group of men, mostly white, who put on their armor, saddle up, and ride into the glorious battlefield known as Twitter. They alone wear the belt of truth as they stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Um, I'm not convinced, though, that they're actually arguing or fighting the devil. Maybe they think they are, but I don't know. I think they definitely think they are. Um, I, I would say the Theobro, I mean, I guess in some sense, we're all Theobros based on your first definition. Um, you know, if I, we... I don't know where you're going with this, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to like it. Well, just the calling somebody out on social media for their theology and correcting theology. Keyboard can, warrior. Yeah. Keyboard warrior. We can all fall into that. But I think the Theobro meme, if you were my kids, everything is a meme. So the Theobro meme is, I think, more geared towards a conservative, reformed, um, keeping things uh, what was. Um, and so looking at that, like this fear, um, so can you pull up that, that bias, Jared bias, uh, who's, who had a nice tweet the other day, the graphic, I think this kind of sums it up. Uh, them Christians have to believe X me. I'm a Christian. I don't believe X them. Then you're not a Christian. Me. You don't get to decide them. You'll learn on judgment day. I think, I don't know if he intended to do this, but I think this summarizes every argument I've ever had with a Theobro as we're defining them. Uh, they, and I've, I've been called not a Christian. I've been like, people have been appalled with me on social media that I'm, I'm actually a pastor because I don't agree with the belief system. And uh, it's quite interesting. I think they do think they're fighting the devil. I think uh, the carnal side of me for for a period of time wanted to get blocked by some of these Theobros on social media, but I think they see me as uh, a person they're evangelizing to, so they're not going to block me because I am the, the target audience, I guess, if you will. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, it's like right belief, I guess, is the is the priority. And I think probably both you and I, you know, points in our life have been all about right 
belief, you know, have been maybe fundamentalist in a lot of ways. Um, so are, are they wrong? Are these, are these guys wrong for his? They, they could be right. I, I think, well, bias his, he's, he does a, a nice podcast with Pete ends. Um, what is it called? The Bible for normal people. And Pete wrote a book called, or I don't know if he wrote a book called this, but he talks about the sin of certainty, right? And uh, to be so certain that people are going to hell if they don't believe this certain uh, structure, the system of beliefs uh, is probably a sin in itself. I mean, even if you look at uh, ancient times, even Jesus, how he taught, it was, it was very question-oriented. It wasn't very certain. Um, he left a lot of things open-ended. And so I think, I think we, we should, we should kind of posture ourselves as kind of open-handed and be willing to learn and to grow and maybe we're wrong. Um, and I, and I would assume that maybe the Theo bros have something right. Um, maybe not all of it, definitely not all, I don't think all of it, um, but I, but I would be open-handed to say maybe there, there's some things that, that we were taught as we were kids growing up that obviously are, are still true today. But I don't want to be don't fall into that trap of if you don't believe this, then you're going to hell. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's my that's my question. You know, the thing that I wrestle with with the Theobros is how important is it for there to be r- r- right belief? You know, that how much does it really matter on all of these things that they get fought about uh online these these what what i i mean i i guess what i what i would call secondary issues at best a lot of times um yeah you you put a tweet up that i liked the other day um your red flag series of tweets i don't know if you remember those Oh, yeah. I, I think I actually have the one that you're talking about here. Uh, if your belief statement's longer than your than the creed, then that's a red flag. Yeah. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about what you're thinking behind that. I think it ties into where this was headed. Yeah, I um, <laughs> I, I was – but my wife said, you know, because my wife's always like job hunting for me. She said, uh, have you looked at this – church. And so um, the first thing I do is pull up a church website whenever I'm anybody engages me about a church, whether it's for a job or, or should they attend there or, or whatever, because I want to kind of know what the flavor is. And the website, you know, it's the front door of of churches and, and businesses now. And so I pulled it up and I found out what denomination it was a part of. And I don't want to I don't want to necessarily dox any denomination, but I went to the denomination's website and I, in fact, I'll show it to you here. Went to the denomination's website and they had the essentials of their faith listed, which I guess, you know, is a good thing, especially if you care about theology, but it just keeps going. Now there's an explanatory statement to uh, the essentials, the confession of faith, the larger catechism, the shorter catechism, and then down here at the bottom, position papers on abortion and divorce and ordination of women and, and human sexuality and <laughs> pastoral letters that you can request. Uh, and you have to give a reason as to why you're requesting these things. And it just struck me as being um, way over the top. That, that pretty much summarizes almost every denomination. <laughs> well, you know, I, and I guess I guess that's true. And this is, you know, I, I guess maybe the thing about Theo Bros too that I've come to dislike. And and you know, one of the classic statements is the things that you notice in others that you dislike or oftentimes the things that you dislike in yourself. I see that with my kids all the time. The things that annoy me the most about my kids are the things that I have a problem with. And I think that that is um, – that's the thing uh, about all of these, you know, position papers and, and all that is just just what you just said. Um, it I, is. I think I think the the problem comes when you say I can't fellowship with you because you don't buy into these things. All of all of these, you know, hundred statements. Yeah, you're, you're defining yourself by what you're not rather than what you are, and you're defining other people as well 
by the opposite of that, what they are rather than what they aren't. And um, it's not a, it just doesn't seem like a Christ-like standard, which, I, you know, as I know something that both you and I continue to try to bring things back to is um, what's what's the standard of Jesus? What, what, what did he model? What example did he set? And in, in a lot of ways, I think we've made the Bible, and what I mean by the Bible is our theology, is our doctrine, is a fourth member of the Trinity, or maybe the, the first and most important member of the Trinity, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a lot out there in the, in the Twitter land, the social media land of uh, like, it's kind of scary to me. And I guess I grew up in this is kind of worshiping God's word over any and above anything. Um, you know, if you believe it, you got to believe the scriptures, the scriptures are the authority, the scriptures are this, they're inerrant, they're perfect. Um, you know, and I've seen a lot of talk about that lately, more emphasize. And then I, I don't see any mention of Jesus. <laughs> um, and I think people are afraid to do that. I, I, maybe it's subconscious because I think if some of those folks are in the room or on this call, they would say, oh, of course we love Jesus and want to worship Jesus. Um, but I think there's a subconscious there that if we put Jesus at the center, if we create a, a Jesus hermeneutic, then we have to reinterpret certain texts differently. Um, if we put it through the lens of Jesus, um, like a lot of these guys love that God destroyed groups of people because of their sin. But if you put some of those Old Testament texts into the filter of Jesus, um, it, it probably looks a little bit differently. I, I preached on the flood this weekend, and typically the flood is like if you don't follow God, um, then you're going to get destroyed, right? And it's funny. So I had a lady actually uh, show up on Sunday, and she said, my car broke down. I live across the street. I've, we met when you first moved and always wanted to check this church out. So here, it's a good week since uh, I can't drive to my church. But I go to a Bible-believing, verse-by-verse preaching church. I knew exactly yeah. the church that she was talking about. And we all know that church. I said it. So, oh, you go over here. And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's where I go. You know, and I, she said, uh, is how is your church compared to that? I was like, well, it's going to be a little bit different for you. Uh, we're, my setting is we're a little bit more liturgical. We say the creed. We do prayers. Um, we have a blended service um, musically. So. I told her all that. And she's like, I can deal with that. But are you going to preach the word? It's going to be sound doctrine. And I said, it's my, it's, it's what I think is sound doctrine. I don't know if you'll agree. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh man, I'm going to preach the flood in a very different way than she's ever heard before. You know what she means, right? She means this list. She means this list right here, position papers. Are you going to preach the word about abortion, about divorce and remarriage, about human sexuality, about the ordination of yeah. women? That's that's what she means. It's it's the it's the litmus test, right, yeah. for churches as like, to whether or not they preach the word. That, you know what she means. Um, are you going to preach this theobro conservative theology? And so I preach the flood as a redemption story that actually. Uh, the way it was written was that it was about God saving his people. Uh, the point was not that God's going to destroy everyone who does bad things. It was that God loves his people and that he's a redeeming God and he's a loving God and he cares for his people. And and so I, I think when – and to me, that's the lens of Jesus. I'm looking at the flood through the lens of Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is this story about? Oh, it's about God saving his, his people. And so uh, she did come up to, to me afterwards. And she says, I've never heard that preached as a redemption story. She's like, that was amazing. So, so she responded positively. Yeah. She did. Well, at least to my face. I don't know if I'll ever see her again. But um, I think that's what it looks like when we look at Scripture through the lens of Jesus. And so sometimes these folks, I think that's why they just say Scripture above all. Um yeah, I, uh, my eighth grader this week came home and, and she and her best friend had gotten into a bit of an argument over um, gay marriage and they were on opposite sides of the spectrum on that. And that whole topic is probably another podcast for another day. But um, the point was, you know, the, the friend, the fallback position was my church that I go to is a Bible believing 
church. Uh, thus, you know, implying that, you know, there's churches out there who, because you believe a certain thing, you're a Bible-believing church. And if you disagree with whatever the nuance of that dogma is, you're not a Bible-believing church. I was so proud of my eighth grader. She immediately piped back, every church believes the Bible. They just believe different things about the Bible. And I was like, that's so, that's such a great perspective because it, um, it doesn't necessarily say that what everyone believes and what every church believes is right or wrong, but it at least validates that every church is really trying to follow God and follow the Bible. Um, so, so it, it, it humanizes. And I, I feel like there's just so much dehumanization, you know, that goes on in these conversations. If I can make it about uh, dehumanizing you, then um, it doesn't matter what I say to you or, or how I treat you, which is one of my foundational issues with apologetics. You know, the, uh, apologetics has become that. And you and I both, I, I thought you might enjoy this. I didn't, I didn't prep you. I was going to show this, but you've probably heard him say it. You and I both uh, know Leonard Sweet because he was a part of our doctoral program. But he said this week in a, in a conversation um, that I heard that, uh, unfortunately, most of the church, and I think, you know, you and I would say most of the Obros are apologetic, is a rational apologetic. It's about beliefs. It's about dogma. It's about, you know, nuancing right from wrong. But he said, you know, what the world really needs today in, in, in these days is not a a right dogma or a rational apologetic, but it needs an aesthetic apologetic. It needs to see a church that isn't coming from the position that I'm right and you're wrong, but is coming from the position of modeling the beauty of Christ in us. And it's interesting, you know, you, you can even see that in social media and, and online. You know, there are people out there who believe just as strongly as the Theobros about their theology and about the Bible and what is right and what is wrong. But when they handle it differently, you see um, not so much a rational apologetic, but you see a beauty of Christ. And um, Keller, Tim Keller is, is a guy who has been drunk through the mud recently over winsome uh, Christianity and, and aesthetic in belief systems and in conversations that that models a, 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 the beauty of Christ w without sacrificing what he believes incredibly. Yeah. Uh, Keller, I think, has have shifted from Theobro land. Um, he might have used to have been living in there, but I think he's shifted that like what you just said, I like that the aesthetic of the living, the beauty of Christ. Um, yeah. And it can be on both extremes. I mean, this can be, we're just talking about the conservative end, but there, there can be the liberal end. And we've all experienced that where you, you know, if you don't believe what they believe, you're also, you know, out, if you will. Um, yeah. Tribalism, tribalism, you know, good tribalism. There are many different ways, you know, many different tribes that are uh, within the kingdom, bad tribalism. If you're not in my tribe, I'm going to kill you. And, and you're right. There is tribalism just as far on the left or on the, the liberal side as there is on the, on the right and on the conservative side, there are fundamentalists uh, of many flavors. As you were talking about that Len sweet code, I wrote down, um, we need to have an apologetic of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, when you look at Jesus and, and what he, his, if he had a denominational statement, it was the Lord's Prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, it was very simple. It was like, pray, and this is how you live in this world. This is how you create beauty um, from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I think that we miss uh, that when we just get so dogmatic about what we think is right. And, and I always, I want to be right. You want to be right. I mean, there is that natural human nature to wanting to be right. And so, but when we look at Jesus, like he, he calls us to lay down that need to, to always be right. That sin of certainty that Pete ends talks about and just be a little bit more open, open-handed. Um, there's this idea of, well, Richard Rohr talks about uh, the triangle 
Um, yeah, I spoke the name Richard Rohr. So I, did Google. you see my reaction? I'm like, I'm going to take a cup of coffee here <laughs> in my hand and hide my face so that nobody sees my reaction that he spoke, he who shall not be named. <laughs> well, he talked about the triangle that guides us. So I, I could have left his name out maybe, but. No, um, I, I think it's just the Theobros. You mentioned the name Richard Rohr. It's like there's a uh, there, there's a visceral reaction to that to that name. Well, they don't think he's a Christian, right? That that he'd be a good yeah. case study. And is it because of what he believes, or frankly, is it because he's Catholic? I just I, I think there's so much. Um, <laughs> he has a double strike. He's Catholic and he's liberal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just both take a cup of coffee here for a beat. <laughs> but I like how he talks about this um, this triangle of, I, I guess, a hermeneutic. He has a hermeneutic. He calls it a tricycle of tradition, of experience, and of the scriptures. And so he would say the classic evangelical theobro would be driven by the scriptures and their tradition and their experiences would would follow. Um, and let's just let's just be honest and say that when they say scripture, like whenever people say, "I believe what historical Christianity believes," or "I believe," you know, I, I'm biblical Christianity when it comes to my belief systems, they're literally just saying what their strain of evangelicalism has believed for about a hundred or hundred and fifty years. Like there's. Anybody who uses the word historic Christianity or, or biblical does not understand 2,000 years worth of beliefs in, in the church. Yeah. They might go back 500 years. To um, the Reformation. Yeah. Is what you Cal get. Calvin. Calvin. But Which, a lot Calvin, of them don't even really know. really know what Calvin believes or <laughs> believed. It's not yeah. the same. Calvinism no. and, and Calvin. Well, I, wouldn't cross, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't cross Calvin if I lived 500 years ago. It didn't go well. <laughs> no. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't uh, all about that, that pacifism. Yeah. So Roar, I like that a lot, though. The, the triangle. What? What was it? It was. Um... Uh, he talked about tradition, ex your experiences, and then the scriptures, um, and then yeah, that, that was his triangle of. Of filtering, he he would say Catholics would be driven by tradition, evangelicals would be driven by uh, scripture, and then Pentecostals would be driven by their experiences. Um, which I, I kind of like that framework, thinking about the different groups of people, different tribes, and then he talks about this idea that you know Christ should drive the train, right? Of all those things, that Christ should be at the center of that and and move it forward, and um. So we don't have to get into to all of the roar stuff. That could be another another topic for another day. Well, in general, I mean, I love um, I, I love that roar and Catholicism brings oftentimes a beauty to the church and to the conversation that is not necessarily always present in the Protestant church. The Protestant church tends to be very iconoclastic, tear down everything that isn't scripture, and the the Catholic church. There is some value, I think, to the tradition and to to the to the beauty, the aesthetics, um, the arts, which Catholicism brings to it. Yeah. And Catholicism oftentimes also, you know, the idea of um, the mystics and the church fathers, uh, the 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 desert fathers, you know, the the um, the priests and um, the monasteries, and and there's also this idea. Uh, embedded within Catholic tradition, I, I think of there there being value in experience and and voices and contemplation, which I think as well has um, been avoided wholesale by the Protestant Church, maybe to its detriment in a, in a lot of ways, overreacting, maybe. Yeah. Well, when the, these theobros just. They're about the scripture, about the scripture. We miss a lot. We miss, we do miss tradition. We miss, like I grew up in an environment. I never knew about prayer books. I never knew about, you, you know, the traditions of the saints. I never learned about, I learned about Jim Elliot, you know, was probably the, you know, you, you know the you story of Jim Elliot going to save the, 
the tribes in Brazil and the Amazon. And it, that was as far as we got on like learning about any saints. Right. It, and then experience. Wow. You, you can't have an emotional experience. Like that's not of God, that's of the devil. And, and, and so uh, I think it's important that again, kind of open-handed we can learn like without people being driven by experience. I, I don't think we'd have, like, I always think about the worship songs, like the best worship songs are written by Bethel church who is definitely driven by experience. Right there. But they, they, they produce some great modern worship songs that connects my soul and, and many people's souls to the heart of Christ. And that shouldn't be discounted just because they don't fit in our neat little, uh, like their belief system. Like I don't necessarily agree with a lot of their belief system, but I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater with some of the beauty that they bring, um, from a worship's experience. Um, yeah, well, and I think in the, in the Protestant church, it's the one sector of the church really that's thriving and growing right now are those that are experiential, which I think says, says something about what we've lost. And it also speaks to where the need is, what, what people, what people really need. Yeah. Well, I think some of that, I, 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 uh, retweeted Johnny Rashid on July 27th. He said, Reminder that Driscoll, Chan, Piper, Keller, and Chandler are not students of Calvin. They are just evangelicals that like bi a big, angry, masculine God. Um, so now, well, maybe outside of Driscoll, <laughs> I don't think any of them would. would and there's would, another conversation for another podcast, yeah, right? Yeah. I, I don't think any of them would say that they preach a big angry god um masculine god maybe the masculine part they would they would probably all subscribe to but the big angry part maybe may, might be a caricature but it's it's the truth when you actually break it down um and it gives people power it gives people control to preach this kind of god i know all of them love to control that the the theology that they preach brings they love the power that it brings and, and so this experiential side of things, uh, you know, will, will kind of tends to break that all down. So they're, they're fearful of people experiencing something other than a big, angry, masculine God. Uh, and so let's not experience God. Let's, let's throw that out because you're going to mess with my control over here. And I, none of those guys, well, Chan, I think he's had some deconstruction, um, you know, you know, in his life. And I think he's in, um, changing a bit, but none of those guys uh, preach the Holy spirit, preach experiencing the spirit of God, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And I think that's why, because of where their theology lies. Um, They'd also be crucified. Yeah. I, I mean, it, to, to be, uh, to change, to be honest, you know, about where, where you're moving and they'd be, they'd be crucified by their base. And it's uh Chan maybe out of all of them are, is the only guy on that list. I think that, I, I mean, and Keller has maybe proven this a little bit too, but has the guts to um, be open uh, about transformation. It's, it's curious how he's changed since he's facing death. Uh, he's addressing issues he's never addressed before. Um, you know, talking even in another topic for another day, but the pro-life issue, I thought I love the way he handled it on Twitter. He's engaged in the race conversation. I mean, he's, he's been engaging in all the cultural conversations uh, through his theology, but I think in, in actually a very fair way, I've enjoyed uh, what he's had to say, even if I don't necessarily agree theologically, I, I think he's approached it the right way. He's been pretty, uh, pretty taken to task though by by the theo bros by his reform community has any or is that just my perception oh i think so i've seen some of that um i think they're like wait what'd you say <laughs> uh there might be a middle road here uh i think they're yeah they're fearful or but what's the what's the fear I, I mean honestly what's the what what is the fear 
of um, maybe not even changing beliefs. I mean, maybe the fear is changing beliefs, but even alternate perspectives. What What is the fear among fundamentalists uh, of any of any stripe? Well, that I'm that I was wrong. Uh, well. That's one part of it, but but I would say the especially the conservative side of fun, you know, of fundamentalism. They've built a system that it says if you don't believe one of these things, then it all falls apart. And for example, even like you know, a lot of them, there's a certain sect of fundamentalists that believe the Bible is a science book, and so if the science that they think is in the Bible is proven to be wrong then all of Christianity is destroyed because one little science fact they came up with from the scriptures is, is proven wrong. And so I think that's the fear is that if this is wrong, then it's all wrong. Um, to me, that's what I see in at least my circles of people that I grew up with and still communicate with. Um, so we've set up, we've set up a hermeneutic an interpretational lens on the Bible that says, unless you understand all of scripture, all 66 books in the way that I see it and interpret it. If, if one thing in my interpretation is false, then everything has to be false. And so that's, that's the fear is that the Bible, that faith, that Christianity is a house of cards. And if one of those cards is removed, it, it all falls down. Yeah. It's more about, it's not so much at its foundation about being right as much as it is the fear of me losing my faith. And so I can't let you question. I can't let you come to a different conclusion um, because it may put me in a position where I have to question and I, my theology won't let me ask questions. Yeah. I, That's fascinating. I, yeah, I, I think... So it's fear. It's, it's, yeah. Not of being wrong as much as it may be fear of if the house of cards falls, I don't have any... You know, like you, you talked about young earth creationism, that the world is 6,000 years old, that all of it was created in literal six 24-hour days. And, you know, the, the thing is, is most... Uh, the, the conversation of the Protestant evangelical church is whenever students from high school get into college, because they've only been taught one scientific lens based on theology, their college professors destroy with evidence their theological and scientific understanding. And because the first chapter of Genesis has been so tied into salvation and crucifixion and the truth of the Bible and all of that. Uh, if you don't believe all of that, then the word is none of the Bible is true. If it wasn't true in this 24 yeah. hour, six day lens, then, then none of it can be true. And because of that, um, it's a crisis of faith for a lot of people because we've not given people permission to explore alternate interpretations that still may be within orthodoxy. Agreed. I, yeah. I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I remember, you know, the, the undergraduate we both attended at different times. Um, our professor, and I'll say his name because I, it's a, it was a positive experience. Uh, Dr. Chris, was it Miller? Um, yeah, Chris Miller. He, he, he had told us that, but I, I, I could sense some, some fear in him from, for really diving into it. But he, he told us to write the name NT write down. I remember, um, and he, and told us to, he's like, we're not going to discuss him in class, but you should read him. And I thought that was his like passive subversive way of getting us to ask questions of the text. So you automatically and, went, I, knowing your personality, you automatically went and looked up and read NT right. Yeah. Like I wrote it down. Subversive I'm in on this. Yeah, yeah. And I went. It wasn't until I was in seminary after I'd completed my studies there that I began to read NT Wright. But then I I gave, I, I I smelled what he was stepping in. Um, you know, is 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 NT Wright 
obviously is a very orthodox Christian, but definitely asks a lot of questions and looks at things differently than the fundamentalists do. And there's some fear around even him, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, I think there just a fear from even reading and, and dialoguing with someone who is very orthodox Christian, um, but, but looks at texts differently, asks different questions. Um, and so, yeah, yeah it right, was, uh, was my first foray to, into alternate interpretations of evolution, um, of women in ministry, actually into right put out this book. I can't remember the name of it. I, I remember it was a green book, but it had a series of papers about his lectures, uh, from, from his lectures. And it, it was the first time that I had ever seen someone hold to a very stringent, um, interpretation of the Bible, but yet come to a completely opposite conclusion of the one, you know, the fundamentalist conservative one that I had been taught. And I was, I, 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 I had been taught so many straw man arguments about what um, the opposite side believes from me that uh, whenever I saw somebody from the opposite side still strongly hold to the Bible as being a, a critical source and as being inspired, uh, but yet came to a completely opposite conclusion from the Bible itself, not from culture, not because yeah, of the world yeah, was telling them yeah. to, but from the Bible itself, it was just, okay. No, I, Oh, I've got to, I've got to rethink everything. Um, and I was thankful that I was able, you know, to do that, having such a foundation. Most people don't have the resources or the training that you and I have to navigate those questions. And they're not in churches or spheres um, that allow them to explore or to, to wrestle with deep questions openly. And so there's two choices. You either 100% are all in and keep your mouth shut about things that don't make sense, or you walk away from your faith. Like there's no middle road, unfortunately, for so many people uh, because there are no voices that are saying, maybe there's a different way to see this and still be orthodox. Maybe there's a different way to see this and still be Christian. Maybe there's a different way to understand this and still be fully and completely um, Christ-centered and and biblically founded. Yeah, I mean, most of Christianity believe, <laughs> believes something differently uh, than fundamentalist Christianity. Um, so I think there's something to that. And I agree. N.T. Wright opened the world, my eyes as well. Um, and fact i bought his four his thick four volume interpretation of the scriptures because i just couldn't get enough i wanted to learn how he was interpreting it like what his hermeneutic was and i just soaked all those things up and created a good foundation for me on how to read the scriptures and interpret them um yeah so part of it too so Certainty, I think, makes people feel good. Um, you and I talking about maybe having open-handedness, um, maybe walk, walking the way of Jesus, of like asking questions and keeping things a little bit simpler uh, and not being so certain all the time uh, isn't, doesn't sell as well as certainty does. Certainty uh, is safe. Yeah, I think you and I both pastored, uh, people just want us to tell them. Just tell me know, what to think. Tell me yeah. what to believe. <laughs> just, just give me the three points and let me go home and, and implement those. And what's God going to do with my life? Where does he want me to go? Those kinds of things. They just want a certain answer. And so kind of shifting into this, this money idea, um, that both you and I both interacted with this guy, Zach Lambert, um, who talked about money as like a driver on Twitter. He had a long thread, but I wanted to talk about, so, uh, it got me thinking and I've long thought this it's it. So evangelical, especially the Theobro evangelicals. And we mentioned this a few moments ago, 
want to distance themselves from Catholics probably even would say they're not like Catholics aren't Christian. I know I grew up in an, or I pastored in an environment where we would baptize Catholics because we saw them as, as not Christians. And they were definitely part of our evangelistic outreach is to, to Catholics. And so one of the things that I learned, uh, as I realized that Catholics are Christians too. And I, wait, wait, what <laughs> I became, what'd you say? Yeah. I, I, sorry. What? <laughs> I, I became friends with many Catholics uh, in a deep way. And so I, I began to ask different questions and, and they're not much different than us evangelicals, or if you want to call us, I don't know what we, what we're called anymore, but, um, <laughs> So they had a they they teach in their confirmation process and that money is the highest form of endorsement from God. So that you do not want to go to an evangelical or Protestant church because they do not have as nice things as we do in the Catholic Church. This is what the Catholic Church will teach their folks. I actually saw really? it in one of their books. I couldn't believe it. This lady was really? telling me. Yeah. And so it's Catholic indoctrination that if it's of yeah. God it would have beautiful stained glass. It would have golden altars. Um, and so they, they jump on this. And the evangelical world is not much different. I, I planted a few churches um, in the evangelical tradition. And money was the center of everything in that world. And so they would ask me this question. Uh, where are you seeing God's grace in your ministry? And what that meant was, where are you seeing the money my question. Yeah. and the most money and the most people was what that meant. It wasn't like, well, man, God's grace this week says I got to spend some quality time with this, this person, or I got to spend time with my family. I, I actually had balance in my life this week. Uh, it, it, that didn't matter. Uh, it was about the money and the amount of people that were, were showing up to different things because if enough people showed up to your event, then that would equal money. And money was a driver of everything. Um, and so that's interesting to me that that's not much different than, than the Catholic church and the Catholic belief system, because if money is behind it, then God must be behind it as well. Um, and then Samuel Perry tweeted uh, kind of along with this. And I got a lot of pushback. I, I posted this on my Facebook wall and I got a lot of pushback from pastors. And he said, you know, most, most mega church pastors, and if you, if you've been to any conference and you heard a mega church pastors talk, it's like, Hey, we started this in my living room with five people. And now look at me, it's 50,000 now. And we're great. And he said, I love just one time a mega church pastor to be honest and say, um, I got, got all this cause I hired the best band and 94, Five percent of my growth came from other churches, um, and I laugh because it's so true. And I've been a part of some of these communities, and it's true. We we had the best band, and all of our growth was from other churches because we were just we just did what they wanted better. So, and they're getting huge planting funds from the denomination that they're hiding. Yeah, in a non-denominational church, that's actually a denomination. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We're not a nomination. I yeah, no, that. I think, I think there's, I think there's so much um, focus on the world and cultural influences in the U.S. American church today, uh, being fear of an errant sexuality or uh, an, an errant politic or uh, an, an incorrect understanding of some dogma or doctrine when the biggest problem in the church today is, as you said, is the influence uh, of, of money and the idea that, that capitalism and Christianity uh, are, are the same thing. You know, so many people, uh, I know socialism has become like a bad word, like fundamentalism, or, and now evangelicalism is too many people have touched the word and, and it, it, it's not of much use anymore, but uh, so there's so much fear of socialism and, and understandably so for a lot of reasons, but I'm like, have you read the Bible? Did, did you read Acts 2 and the way their yeah. early church acted? You know, they had all things in common. They shared everything. Um, you might want to go back and rethink 
this idea of the Bible teaching a capitalistic money focused society and the, and the fact that I think the church doesn't even see it to your point proves the problem that it is in the church and how prevalent it is that, that we don't even see the influence of money uh, until, like you say, we see it through another lens like you did with the, the Catholic doctrine there. Yeah, it's it's a huge, hugely influenced. So I think part of the Theobro fundamentalist Christianity muster their strength or momentum comes from that, that we have some of the biggest churches in America. We had the president, right? God must be blessing us because we we got God's man in, in office and, and all the judges are ours now. And and so I think that lends itself to some credibility for people that just want certainty they want um that see it's working like money's here we have influence and power in the world and and all of those things and i think to me that's that's why it's harder to to break through some of these into some of these folks uh mindsets You can't serve two gods. I forget where it is in scripture, but you can't serve two gods. Yeah, you can't both serve God and mammon money. Um, yeah, that, that's coming up in the lectionary. I was just looking at that for the fall. So in the next couple of months, that's that's what, that's the text in the lectionary. Yeah, I. Yeah, you can't. You cannot serve god and uh the the capitalism machine which is a whole nother thing is like a lot of these these types in the evangelical especially the mega church world like capitalism is king uh, we run our church like a capitalist business i can remember being in one of those churches and um i i would carry my john maxwell like leadership book or whatever leadership book <laughs> They had us reading at the time, business leadership, you know, Jim Collins. I mean, you can learn some good things from them. leadership lessons yeah. of Jesus. But, but, <laughs> Don't go to Jesus for your leadership lessons. Yeah. It, you'll get crucified. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's where I was headed. Like, is if you actually look at, like, what Jesus did, like, everyone hated him. You know, it's like a small band of followers. That, worst mega Those are never, the, those are never the things, though, that get pointed out in the leadership books about Jesus, though. No, he was the worst mega church pastor ever. Um, he got stabbed in the back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he, his treasure people, people was stealing from him. over him. I mean, it's just, you, yeah. Well, I laugh because his treasurer was stealing from him and he did nothing. Like, what would a mega church pastor do if his executive pastor was stealing from the church? Like, he's gone, right? He's fired and he's excommunicated for all of eternity. It's <laughs> the only thing that gets you fired. <laughs> You know, here's Jesus. Pedophilia, pedophilia. No, we'll, we'll keep you. But, yeah. <laughs> but still money. Um, did I say that out loud? Yeah. <laughs> I just. Yeah. yeah but if it's true, have, though. I, it's true that, that, that is you, so you, true. you point out the, the, the only true sin in, in U.S. American Christendom is um, mishandling money or, or not making enough of it. Uh, everything else, we can. We can overlook, forgive, move on about. Yeah. If Driscoll had been embezzling, I wonder. But he, I wonder he, what his got, that was the be. last straw for him. Was the was he using church funds to put his book on the? Uh, oh yeah, you're right. I forgot yeah. about that. So that was so that was what yeah. brought him down. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was the last straw. It wasn't the. It wasn't the patriarchy. The theology. The. Uh, it, it was once once there was financial misdealings. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. That's a fascinating point, Matt. How deep that how deep that rabbit hole goes. Yeah. Well, this has been fun, man. Fifty minutes. Um, did we want to give a little? Uh, bit on why we call it Jack theology. Sure, let's go for it, man. Well, you can join in too, but 
uh, people see us, and this is, I guess, why we started, maybe God ordained us starting with Theo Bros, is Theo Bros see us, uh, sees our th- theology as jacked. And uh, and those that maybe would subscribe to some of our the- theological leanings. Uh, but also, Kevin and I are into fitness and getting jacked. Um, and so maybe we'll do some some bits on on fitness and things we enjoy as well. Um, so it's kind of a good play on words, double entendre. I don't know what they call that. In the yeah, I, I heard you. Poetry. I heard you just started back in the CrossFit. So God bless you. <laughs> it's my thing, man. I, I never got out of CrossFit. Now I'm just back into a gym. Do you ever? You you never really get out of CrossFit. You can take the boy out of CrossFit, but you can't take the CrossFit out of the boy. That yeah, very true. It's a, uh, it's true. a, uh, it's a religion. CrossFit is. It's a cult. Actually, there's they made. There's a there's a guy a podcast group that I watch, um, and they they've embraced the word cult, so they made cult hats, and I I, I got to get one. I got to get a CrossFit cult hat. But yeah, there's but nothing, you, nothing wrong with taking care of the temple God gave you. I hope. Yeah. No. Well, part of the reason why I got into fitness was uh, I realized about four or five years ago that I was preaching spiritual health to people, but, but I wasn't modeling really physical health. And I realized, um, it it just, it it was, it was, it was a false, it was a false thing. If I'm not taking care of myself in a holistic way, um, how, how can I preach to other people to take care of themselves? And so, uh, what it became actually was a, a, a spiritual practice you know, for me, it's my, it's my time with God. And, uh, now I can't, now I can't go without it. Yeah. And I, I use that well. time to, to tweet about other people's jacked theology. <laughs> 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 Do a few sets. <laughs> Tangle with the Theo bro. Do a few more sets. <laughs> Tangle with the Theo bro. I gotta admit when I get bored on my day off, sometimes I, I'm just like, let me get on Twitter and pick a fight <laughs> um uh, you know I, I what would jesus do right yeah uh yeah but i i heard this from someone i i was listening to the other day is i i don't want to ever get personal with someone it, i want to see them as god's uh creation and and loved by god and so even if i engage in their in my opinion jacked uh, thoughts and theology. I don't want to ever get personal with them. Don't so you and I have a rule. It's good advice. A rule on my social media. If somebody starts to get personal with me, you it's know, an I, block for me. What? A block. I, I know what? as soon as they go into my bio and start quoting pronouns. my bio, <laughs> I, I put my pronouns in there just just to out them. <laughs> it's, it's over because they've got. They're now getting personal. Yeah, they have when, no. When you get personal. They have no other comments. Uh, it's getting personal, and so the conversation's over. But um, well, and I think that's a that's a good point, man. Is you know, whenever we're we can we can disagree without being disagreeable, and there's there there's there's a lack of that. I it's hard for me. Uh, oftentimes, I will go back and edit what I wrote or delete what I wrote five minutes ago because I realize it just wasn't it wasn't bringing it, it wasn't representing the beauty of Christ well, and. Um, Christ was direct a lot of times, but um, we can be direct without without being too catty. Yeah, great. Well, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been good, man. We'll do it Until again. next time. Next time we are Kevin Young and Murph, Matt Murphy, uh, Jack Theology. If you watched this far, thank you. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> the Lord be with you. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.